0: This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. Zoning regulations have far-reaching implications for housing affordability, transportation, economic development, and more. In Chattanooga, our entire downtown core has its own unique section in the zoning code. I sat down with Sarah Robbins, the form-based code development review planner, to learn more. This episode of Chattanooga Civics is sponsored by Juicy Rhino. Juicy Rhino is a podcast started right here in Chattanooga, documenting the strange but true story behind all those shady marketing companies posting too-good-to-be-true job ads. Over the course of seven episodes, the podcast unravels the world of multi-level marketing, investigating the cult-like strategies used to recruit and retain new hires, and exploring how the same company sheds its bad reputation and recycles itself over and over. Juicy Rhino is a serious investigation, but it plays like a dark comedy, and it's a blast to listen to. You can find it on all the major podcast platforms. I'd also like to thank my Patreon sponsors, especially the Marks family, for being the show's top supporter. If you appreciate this podcast, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash chatsins.
1: sarah robbins i work for the city of chattanooga in the land development office i'm the form-based code development review planner and i help development in our downtown in the form-based code zoning districts
0: great so if you could just very broadly tell us what is the form-based code
1: form-based code is zoning code so in 2016 it replaced the traditional euclidean zoning and that has been in our city for years upon years it was the first zoning created in our city and 2016 the form based code zoning was adopted and form based code focuses more on the form of the land and where the buildings placed how people are circulating around the building on foot on bikes in cars and um, how it interacts with what we call the public realm, which is where the streetscape is, and how people then move throughout our urban areas in our city, which is all throughout our city, and enjoy public spaces and the, the buildings and all the things. And then the use comes secondary in the thought process. And that's mainly because our buildings last a lot longer than the uses And we also want many types of uses in our buildings because the more uses we have downtown, the more vibrant our city is. So that's a long answer, but yes.
0: (laughs) No, that's great. Um, So can you kind of talk about more about the background of of why it was introduced and why the city felt that this form of zoning was better for downtown than you mentioned Euclidean zoning? And we can talk about what that Mm -hmm. is a little bit as well.
1: So our city has been through Euclidean zoning, um, which was developed um, in response to needs to separate uses. And then then um, our city had that for quite some time and has done a lot of conditional use zoning with that. And then um, on the North Shore, they actually created a C7 zoning, which... Um, had a design review component in it. And that did really well for quite some time, but it wasn't covering all the bases. It wasn't helping the city really achieve the goals that the city, the people of the city wanted for our downtown and our urban areas and some of our neighborhoods downtown. And so the community really started working towards studying other zonings that were were popping up in other cities. And form-based code caught a lot of people's attention. And so we had a lot of people passionate about development in our city start studying form-based code in other cities. And um, the regional planning agency really helped in a lot of ways. And a lot of our nonprofits helped look at these zonings. And a lot of um, the design community, the architectural community, the engineering community, everyone started looking at other zoning in other cities. Um, form-based code being a hot topic. and We studied them and then decided, let's look at it for Chattanooga. Um, With that, then um, we started the public process of forming the form-based code for Chattanooga. And it was a huge public process. There were a lot of public meetings And a lot of um, consultants brought in and used locally as well. So this is not the government's code by any means. This is our city's code. And I try to repeat that a lot to people because it's important for everyone to understand this is, A code that had a lot of public input by the community and it will continue to have public input it will continue to evolve as city as cities change across the country their codes have to respond to the needs of the changing cities and communities so um, it it has um, come a long way uh, from its adoption in 2016 it took it took I think a year or two to form and get adopted um, it's been amended a few times and it will continue to have amendments as our city's need. just as I said, as our city's needs change and evolve. Um, as we've seen, like one example, is 20, in 2020, we learned we need a lot more drop-off zones and um, we need to, zones for picking up people um, and picking up food and things and dropping them off to people and helping people get around and get their things around in a little different way. Um, so there's there's all those needs that continue to change. Um, people now want to, the option to be able to live and work in their same home, um, which wasn't quite as popular before. Now, now it is. And it's great to have everyone all over doing all different things. Um, but that can then tend to lend to some more needs in the residential areas and stuff. Um, so there's all kinds of needs, and so the the code will continue to change. And it doesn't just get written once. Our, con- our community will continue to give input, and we will, as a municipality, will continue to respond and work towards the needs of the community um, and help improve the permitting process. One of the big reasons why... Um, this, it, that was your next question. I'm not sure. Go ahead. <laughs> One of the reasons why it was adopted was also to give consistency the, to the permitting and review process. It wasn't consistent. Um, prior to 2016, that was a, a huge complaint by the development community in particular and the design community. Um, there wasn't a consistent permitting process that, that was consistent with the, 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 the the regulations that were set forth in the code, the city code. Um, And so to give that consistency, we went through the form-based code formulation process and and to get it all codified, um, all those comments and all the needs from the community, making sure every area is coded, reflecting the needs of those communities. Um, And then that um, also... With that outdated zoning I mentioned before, the Euclidean zoning, this this new zoning form based updates the dated code um, that was not reflecting the urban needs of the community and the, those community needs identified through that public process. So, sorry, <laughs> that's a little much that I get no, carried great. away.
0: Uh, so, we, we talked a little bit and touched on Euclidean zoning, which is more of that single use zoning, R1, C1, and that looks at, at use first and then kind of goes through all the other regulations after that right and then so how how do the regulations of form-based code differ from that more typical euclidean zoning uh, both in the order that they're kind of structured in and prioritized mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also just kind of in the details of what are the setbacks look like and how, how does it actually look different mm-hmm. from a Euclidean zoning?
1: So Euclidean zoning, it's going to be simpler in character of how it's looked at, but it won't identify a lot of urban needs that are needed in an urban area. So in an urban area um, like downtown and like some of our neighborhoods adjacent to downtown um there's a lot of tight spots so you've got a building with a parking area and a driveway and a sidewalk all together and maybe even a park and it's all together and it's all squished together well if you if it's not built correctly it could become a dangerous spot for an urban area and that's some some of the reasons why these elements of the form-based code are so important is to get that building form correct so that for the long term of our city, it's a healthy aspect of our city. It's a healthy place. Mm. It's a vibrant place. I just, um, emailed our director of, um, of, um, public art today, thanking her for just all of her hard work, because that's another essential part of our city. Um, and what Kat Wright does and her team does do around our city. It's it, 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 um, It's another part of the form-based code's needs. So the form-based code is zoning. It should play off of everything that's built in our city should play off of each other, should complement each other. So how the buildings are built with the amount of windows that are transparent should then complement the sidewalks that are next to them with the street trees that shade the sidewalks and give it comfort and feeling of security next to a road that is Functioning well for the cars, so that the sidewalks need to function well, the the streets need to function well with the cars and the people, and then the the um, bike lanes also and the bikes and and the paths paths for um, the cyclists throughout our city need to be safe and comfortable so all those things the parking areas need to be safe and comfortable and then getting in and out of the building safely and it's not just for everyday people it's for all people so ADA is super important making sure those sidewalks are the right width you've got the right cross slope on everything and you have pathways for everyone to get across streets into buildings and all that stuff so the original, the Euclidean zoning that we were talking about a second ago, doesn't take any of that into regard. It really just looks at a setback for a building, the height, the use, and then all those other things are supposed to be covered in other city code. Mm -hmm. which could or could not happen. And a lot of those are covered in city code, but if you don't coordinate it with the placement of the building, it might not work really well together, Mm -hmm. which as our city has evolved and gotten busier and busier and more and more popular. And um, we want the quality of life and the quality of experience to keep up with that busyness and that, that um, popularity of our, city we want it to be an amazing city that people come visit but people also love living here so um, with that this zoning helps add to that and it really helps form the place that that it's continuing to form Mm. so it is a few more regulations but once people start learning them and getting used to them they'll appreciate them so
0: it sounds like it's a lot more detailed than a Euclidean Zone. Would it be safe to say that's more uh, architecturally based?
1: It's, um, it is more detailed as it relates to the site and the structure. So the structure itself has openings of um, opening requirements. We call them fenestration. We have glass specifications. Some of those things can seem arduous. But as they all work together with all the public realm and the site regulations, it all works to create a really, really awesome site that will be awesome for years to come, not just now. So um, our architectural community um, and our civil community and um, the design community in general, I, I believe, wanted these regulations. They wanted this so that it really um also even the playing field so that every development in the downtown is required to do this high quality development i have developers call me from out of town and they learn about some of the aspects of form-based code and they get excited because they know okay it's not just us doing this it's everyone downtown having to do this really high quality development Um, and it's great and it and it really creates a wonderful form that complements all the other aspects that are also in our downtown So hopefully that helps.
0: (laughs) So one other question I have is what areas of of town does it cover exactly? What is the rough boundary that's covered by this code? And and where is that dividing line between the form-based code and the more traditional Euclidean zone in?
1: So originally it was just downtown core. So we've got what we call context areas. Um, and those are like districts and each one of the districts has its own unique set of coding, a unique set of zoning associated. So you've got the downtown core, which is central business district. You've got the river, which is all the properties like along the river, um, urban, which is like the South side, urban edge, which is more of the North shore. And the urban district also includes some areas around UTC, um, and then, the Martin Luther King neighborhood, and then the south side. And then now we have the bend, which is over um, on the western side of the city, close to the bend of the river right there, as it comes around close to the 21st century waterfront. Not right up to that, but it's closer to the MLK, um, Martin Luther King Boulevard. Um, And then... Those are all the districts right now, but I am having lots of meetings about people that want to expand the form-based code in little pieces right on the edge mm. because it is, um, it's really a great zoning, and these people are seeing the benefits of how it can really um, complement historic structures and work with those. It can give more flexibility to the site for the uses, and as we've found in the last year and a half, oh my gosh, we need flexibility. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We need flexibility where we work. We need flexibility where we play. We need flexibility of how restaurants function, um, how hotels function. We need flexibility Mm -hmm. of the use. We've learned that in the past two years, if not ever. So this zoning really works to help with that.
0: So as far as use is concerned, are there any areas in the form-based code that are single-use? or?
1: Yes. So there are... um, There's one – there are some primarily residential Mm -hmm. zonings that do focus more on residential, so residential districts. But all the zoning in the residential will allow for an ADU, Mm -hmm. um, which gives people a lot more flexibility in their – Financing their their properties and having um, flexibility f- for um, just units on their property and things like that. Now there's a um, size um, square footage maximum of 700 square feet measured from the outside for ADUs in the form-based code, and they're not allowed everywhere, but I believe most. Um, but if it's a residential zone, that is. <laughs> Um, and then, um, but there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot more flexibility in the uses and form-based code than there is in the Euclidean zoning for sure. Right. Cause it's all built around the form and how right. that works with the neighborhood or the commercial district or the industrial district it is and stuff like that.
0: So, so you mentioned talking to people about wanting to bring new areas, maybe smaller areas even, Mm -hmm. into the form-based code. What is that process like? And is it a different process depending on kind of the size of the property? I mean, could you just go through the typical rezoning process to come into the form-based code, or does it have to be a special
1: application? Not always. Um, So the regional planning agency, they govern our processes and procedures for the um, rezoning. So sometimes if you're if you're right on the edge of a context area, then you could probably request to be pulled into that context area. But if you're not right on the edge of that context area, then you might need to request um, or your project team might need to request a new context area be developed. If there isn't one that identifies with the district you're looking at, if it's and that's exactly what the bin did. So the bin did that. And they applied to have their own context area to reflective of the development that's been that's proposed through their development plan. And with that, you'd want to have a development plan attached to it, some sort of plan so that the community understands what is proposed there. And then the community can give some community input because this becomes a part of the zoning. And ultimately, we want as as um, a municipality, we want to always have input into the zoning that's That's in our city um, and the needs of the city, so that it it because it's ultimately part of um, the development regulations for the Mm -hmm. whole city. And each context area is an example for any other area, so it's it's a good starting point. Um, And yes, so that's kind of the process. And then once the context area is established, or then the zones are established within that context area. Um, through the adoption. There's probably a few adoption processes. The regional planning agency, they're the experts with that. They handle that and guide people through that process. But typically, um, that is a rare process to create new zones, very, very rare. You typically want to look at what we've already have, what we already have, and see what is the best zone for um, a proposed project if it doesn't have form-based code zoning. But it does typically need to be near a context area needs to be within a property or two of maybe the urban edge, which is the North shore or, um, the urban, which is around the South side in MLK or the bend, um, on the Western edge and then, um, or the river or something. So you've got areas that are already fleshed out, have had plenty of community input and they have a pattern and, um, and some standards attached. So, mm-hmm.
0: so if you have a, a single property and you're right on the edge of an existing context area, that's just the standard rezoning saying, hey, I want to change from C2 to, you know, whatever form is code. Mm-hmm. And then, then if it's a larger area, that becomes that much yes, if it's a larger strenuous process of, of actually deciding what district to be in, deciding what regulations apply, even creating a new district.
1: Sometimes, yes. So that's a bigger process, typically. Um, both of those are still a process to go through mm-hmm. to rezone. So rezoning is not a quick process. It can be a three to four month process mm-hmm. with the regional planning agency, but they are experts at that and they help guide people through that. I usually, sometimes i will come in on the meetings just to give some implementation feedback because I'm the form based code planner and to make sure they understand the expectations from mm-hmm. the code, um, which ultimately are the expectations from our community because the community mm-hmm. wrote, the, wrote the code. Um, so, there are expectations and requirements um, in the code for development, as we've talked about, for site development and building development. So I just want, before anyone enters that process, it's our priority as municipality to make sure everyone's informed of the rules and regulations. Um, and then we have tons of meetings. If something is rezoned, um, I have lots of meetings prior to their permitting with them. To help guide them through the understanding of the form-based code regulations, and I'll meet with um, site development designers, so civil engineers. I'll meet with architects. I'll meet with just site development um, planners and the um, or any consultants or owners and. Really explain the process and procedures and the regulations so that everyone's super aware before they hit permitting. Because once you hit permitting, it's press go, and that's time is money, and we are well aware of that. So we are trying to cut down on that any delays once someone hits permitting. Right, that's a big priority of our office.
0: (laughs) So before we get into the next set of questions I want to back up a bit and and talk about this this kind of public process Mm -hmm. that the form-based code went through when it was first written uh and and kind of how it might change in the future and just talk about how important that is to be involved with those if you want a voice in how our city looks and and knowing when those public input processes are taking place Mm -hmm. um because I do hear a lot of people complaining about how buildings look downtown Mm -hmm. and, and complaining about, you know, different aspects of either the form-based code or the, the regular zoning code. I mean, people complain about all sorts of things, but, but that aspect of, you know, you you keep going back to, this is the city's code. This is Mm -hmm. the code that the citizens came together and and wrote Mm -hmm. in a certain sense, but it's, it's the people who, who showed up to that process, who got the say in it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I do want to kind of get into how might the code change in the future mm-hmm. and, and what that might look like. Would it be a very comprehensive process or would it be small tweaks here and there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what that might look like or mm-hmm. if it could be a little bit of both.
1: As of now, it will probably be edits that are needed over time um, from right now. Um, and they I do know that our city is looking at the larger code and seeing how it can better function for our municipality. Um, The rest is outside of the Fort Base code. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know that process and those discussions have started. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is great. Um, The regional planning agency, everyone that is very interested in this process should always keep an eye on their website. Um, I don't know if they have a newsletter they do, but I do know they try to do newsletters when they do big, big projects. Mm -hmm. So try to get on their mailing, their email list, try to keep an eye on their Facebook page. um, And and all associated, like if they do a breakout of their Facebook page or anything, just make sure to keep an eye on that. Um, They will have any kind of projects posted on their website, they are going to be the gatekeepers for those things, mm-hmm. um, for those public processes. Um, and, and yes, and they do a great job with that. Um, they, I worked on the team that wrote this, pro, this, this document and we worked really hard to get all out to this, the community and this in our city. Um, and we did, um, educational sessions. We did lunch and learns everywhere. You know, we had, um, the consultants, they were from Texas and they came in with local consultants and they did, um, development plans and they did all kinds of, um, meetings with everyone to gather input. And that was over at the Bessie Smith hall. Um, that was while the code was being written. Um, and it was, I would expect that sort of um, need for, I mean, that those sort of efforts from, from our community, again, if we have any more bigger districts formed or huge edits to our, our big zoning code and stuff like that. Those public processes are important to our city, mm. and our government knows that and recognizes that. Um, we also recognize, I mean, our government and our, this administration, I do know, recognizes that housing right now is very difficult. Um, meeting the um, going along with all the economic challenges that have happened over the last few years. Everyone is um, we've, there's a lot of citizens in our community that have, that have been hit on hard times with housing and, um, even, um, keeping their business, you know, getting, keeping their business at, at their location, just the cost of everything has gone up so much. So, um, there are stop gaps from our mayor or current administration that they are, they're doing to help different people, help. Um, People um, bridge those gaps and get people in homes and all those things. They're doing a lot up there. Um, That's not necessarily through the land development office, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that stuff because I do know that that is a reality within development and housing in our city right now. Um, And, yeah, so... A long answer for a short question. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) No, it's
0: great. Uh, So I want to get in a little bit to what happens if a developer comes in and decides that uh, they just bought a piece of property, they have an idea of what they want to build there, and that idea doesn't match what's in the code. What happens in that case? Um, What are their options, and uh, how are those options played out, I suppose?
1: So first we identify what aspects of the form-based code it does not, um, the development plan does not meet. And then um, then I have to request it. And then I also ask them to thoroughly look through. I have a um, a checklist mm-hmm. that I've created, and this is a new checklist that I've updated, and I've, I've formulated it mainly around large developments. Um, and... It's to kind of go through all the scenarios of the code, making sure that the development plan they've put forth meets all the aspects of the code, and if not, why? Because there's so many parts of this code that play off of other parts of the code, right. <laughs> which can get very complicated. And so um, this that, a checklist like that helps them, and it helps me. Mm-hmm. So that then when we meet, they say, okay, identify that this doesn't meet up. And I say, okay. Does it meet up because you're creating that hardship for yourself or does it meet up because you have an odd shaped lot or you have um, a sloped lot or Mm -hmm. you have something that's outside of your control? If it's something outside of your control, that's a hardship. The other option is, or do you not meet that because you're doing a creative design solution and you're still meeting the intent of that statement in another way? those are the two aspects that someone can go after if they need a major, what I call a major modification. It's basically like a variance, but for that development plan, that design of the site, they need a modification to the language of the form-based code Mm -hmm. to be in compliance. So for example, if they were to change, they were to acquire a major modification and how they do that is they go in front of the form-based code committee and they acquire that major modification um, through a public process, um, and we send out letters on adjacent property owners, um, after we receive the application and we post it in the paper that they'll be going in front of the committee and there's a sign on the site. And so after this case goes in front of the committee and if they are granted that, they do have to develop the site as they requested that modification. Mm-hmm. So can't really say, oh, well, I got these modifications, but I'm going to build this other thing. Mm-hmm. That can't happen and I check it and our staff checks it mm-hmm. throughout the whole process. Um, the other um, the other option they have, if it's not a major modification, there's also minor modifications which are identified in the form-based code document. So those are smaller um, and there are some caveats with those. Um, but, those are within here and those are things that still have to have a hardship or meet the overall intent of the code like I still have to have um, like a narrative as to why and give me your your your, um, reasoning why and it can't be self-imposed things of that sort but it's typically there's a reasoning why that's out of their control or something like that so so for example um, some minor examples of minor modification um, so, our like lot frontage, which is the amount of building within the, the minimum and maximum setback range, of the front of the the lot, the front of the property up against the public right of way. So, it could be decreased up to ten percent of a primary or side street lot frontage requirement, if need be. Um, but these are not like some people have asked me as if it's a gimme. Like they're like, oh, but you can just give us that. I say, no, that's not how this works. Like I have to have a hardship. Mm-hmm. I have, to, or I have to have the um, substantial evidence showing that you're meeting or exceeding that intent of the code mm-hmm. for this, or or you have something outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have to document why, and it has to meet the standards in the code, the process. So that is really important to take into consideration because it's not just a gimme. It's not just a, um, oh, a given flexibility. Right,
0: yeah. right. So for the major modifications, they, they have to go through, I believe you mentioned the form-based code committee.
1: Yes, and they meet once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, applications are due a month before that meeting. It's mm-hmm. so basically the day after that month's meeting mm-hmm. is the application deadline for the next month's meeting. And at four o'clock, and we ask that you have all your materials, your application in. And then we check through the materials and make sure you get that payment in. Um, if you can make the payment, make the payment on the deadline day. <laughs> um, but we we check through everything, and we want you to have everything you. If you don't have any attachments in, if you don't have like a site plan or your elevation drawings or your. Um, Floor plans are. It will not be accepted on that deadline day. It can't just be just an application. Mm-hmm. It has to have the substantial materials that will be needed to for the committee to properly evaluate the project mm-hmm. um, and the needs and the request. Um, so yeah, and it's once a month, um, and. I just permit, I just present the information to the committee through mm-hmm. a presentation and as staff answer any questions regarding the code to the staff members but I do also help the applicant so through the process mm-hmm. and make sure they they are as prepared as possible to present the request Um So it's kind of two-sided from my role. I help the applicant make sure they're very prepared, and so does Levi Witt. He's our um, admin staff who works really hard to make sure that the um, meeting is ready, and we make sure we have quorum from our committee members. It's a nine-person committee, but right now we have seven, and right now we have one on maternity leave. So we're working to get a few more people, and we've had some interest so thank you to those that have expressed interest and filled out applications. It's they're in process right now. So that the appointment for that is through the mayor. So <laughs> it's um, each seat is a mayor appointed position. So I um, and once they're appointed, those individuals are appointed and they are then trained and um, come to meetings and learn about the code and learn about the process and um, the the seats of the committee members are design professionals. So we've got three that are architects, urban designers, landscape architects, three that are developers, realtors, bankers, civil engineers, and contractors, and three that are property owners, resident, building owner. So they're, they're a mix of professionals mm-hmm. from our city. So, yeah, and they do need to... Um, And then there's one other requirement, I believe. It's been a while since I've read through these, sorry. (laughs) But I believe they should have some activity within the districts. I'd have to look, that's in the form-based code membership in the in the code document. But um it's a wonderful committee. I'm very appreciative of my of the committee members <laughs> um, and their attendance and their expertise, and they're all great professionals. I don't typically talk about them by name because I don't want them bombarded. They are volunteers. They volunteer their time and expertise to the city of Chattanooga. Um, they go through ethics training once a year, um, and especially when they start on the committee. Uh, let's see... And that that ethics training is um, given by our city attorney. Mm-hmm. We have a city attorney that sits at every meeting, uh, and form based code meeting, and yes. And the the applicant has an opportunity to present their case at the meeting. I present facts also about the case at the meeting. The committee will ask questions. Community members are given an opportunity to ask questions about the case or express their concern. Mm-hmm. Um, or just members of the general public could come and express their concern or ask questions or give support or whatnot.
0: So you mentioned uh, for for the minor modifications, you're very constrained on kind of the reasons you can give those minor modifications at a, at a staff level. Mm-hmm. But when something comes before the form-based code committee for a major modification, a, a larger change mm-hmm. from what's written in the code... Um, What can they consider? Are there rules on what they can and cannot consider in terms of, yes, we'll grant you this major modification or not? I ask this especially, I guess, because there is a concern among a lot of people that the development community has a very strong hand in local government here. And... basically just you know what kind of safeguards are in place just say you know it's a bunch of developers and developer adjacent folks that are on mm-hmm. this board how how is that laid out what kind mm-hmm. of rules are in place for what they can and cannot grant these variances for
1: there's also residents on the board too so that's mm-hmm. important yes. to realize yes. um, and um, all the information about the meetings are also sent to Neighborhood associations. Mm-hmm. There are neighborhood association meetings that are required prior if there if there is a neighborhood association within I think three or five hundred feet. I'd have to look exactly of the the property that needs the major modification. They mm-hmm. have to meet with the neighborhood, so the the development team does. Right. It. So that is good um, for informational purposes. Mm-hmm. It is very good. It's not a. It's just an informational meeting. Um, but they to to really answer your question the. Form based code committee um, looks at each case in its, of, in its um, as a separate case. Each development is different than another development, so it's something to remember because um, people often ask me about precedent, and I say, well, that's that's a hard topic because each development is very different with right. all the site constraints and all the site conditions than another site. So, that being said. At the beginning of the meeting and throughout each case that I present to the committee and to the audience, I'm, we are always reminding. I'm always reminding the committee. They they remind each other about the intent. Um, there's specific intent statements formed by our community um, in the form-based code. There's purpose and intent statements. Those are really important. So the um, the decisions of the committee for each case should also reflect the purpose and intent of the code. Right. So they should never stray away from those. We're always repeating that. We read at the, the beginning of the meeting throughout each case. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very important. Um, and as I said before, those purpose and intent statements were formulated by our community. Right. That's really important to remember. And then also just like as a major mod, I mean, minor modifications the major modifications are still held to that same degree of they have to have either a hardship that's not self-imposed. It can't be just about money. It cannot be just about oh well we just can't do that. That's not a hardship. Or oh we just want that. That's not a hardship. Um, it has to be a either a hardship that was not self-created. So or which is like a, like I said before like a slope or a natural feature on the site that it is out of the developer, development team's hands to control um, environmental feature or something like that, um, or an oddly shaped lot or something that is really out of the development team's hands. Or they design, do a design that still is different than the code, doesn't meet some of the regulations, but it meets or it exceeds the code. So some of our most, like for example, look at the aquarium's roof line how could you put a roofline height, a maximum height, and something like that? So, I mean, you know, we want to promote creative design Mm -hmm. and creative buildings, beautiful buildings in our city. Don't, we want our architects to have the freedom to create these amazing structures and our civil engineers to create, do site design that works really well for what's under the ground and above the ground with the buildings, and with the streetscape and with mobility and everything, so that needs to there needs to be some flexibility. To that and I believe this other element of besides not um, a, a hardship a, a strict hardship, but also a creative solution is there. So we have creative design and we have interesting situations that might not meet the letter of the code, mm-hmm. but when presented to the committee and say, look, this still meets all of these intent statements and the purpose. Um, Oftentimes that's when public art comes in, like they have coolers behind a whole wall and they can't do windows right there. They'll just be the back of coolers. So um, that's when they get beautiful masonry work, you know, or beautiful artwork or sculptures along that edge or something that is super engaging to people walking along the the street right there. Um, So there's variations That are great ideas and you know we want to promote that so hopefully that answers (laughs) yeah that does
0: (laughs) i have one last question and it's escaping me is there any process in place to kind of keep track of which modifications are being asked for and granted at a higher rate than others and kind of take that into account in future code elements or is that something that's Wait. just to say like this this is a piece of the code that a lot of people are asking for modifications there's a lot of people presenting hardships for this specific piece is this something maybe we should change in the base code so that people don't have to keep coming back is that kept track of
1: yes we do watch that mm-hmm. as staff. I mean, that's I do watch that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my predecessor watched that very well. I know she was very good at that. Um, and so, yes, that is something we as staff watch. Um, we make sure we're, we're interpreting it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're making sure we're reading through the code and our interpretations in line with what our community wants and needs. Um, and if not, maybe we need to send it back to RPA to clean up that, that language so that it's easier to interpret. And we did that recently with some sign code language. Mm-hmm. Um, it was unclear um, how to interpret the, the language in the code. And it happens. It, it happens all the time with certain parts of the code. Now, that piece was very confusing to a lot of people. So we got it cleaned up. We, and that process is to to go and work with the regional planning agency to get the language to meet with them to to start fleshing out that language and also take a recommendation from the form-based code committee and uh, and get their recommendation of what how it's become kind of confusing for them and they're seeing a pattern of cases um, and then and that I mean that process in itself was starting at the form-based code committee and then Taking it to the regional planning agency, and then updating the code from there into city council because ultimately it's city code. Right. So ultimately, if changes occur to the the nuts and bolts, which are the, the the black and white language right there, then it needs to go to city council for that. Um, interpretations we can as staff write position papers on our interpretations. We can that can really help the community better understand. Um, and we've done. I don't think we've done any of that with these, but I do know the regional planning agency has some of those for the Euclidean zoning. (laughs) Um, But this is a new code. Like, this is only 2016. I mean, (laughs) this is a very new code. It will continue to change with the needs of our community. We have not had a ton of cases, major modifications this year. Um, And that's been um, really good. We've just had a few here and there Um, but we're still learning our community is still learning this code our design community is getting really great at the code now so that's why fewer and fewer modifications Mm -hmm. are being needed Um, and i think that's just a learning curve you know Like, like with any new code You're going to have a learning curve of figuring it out and figuring out how to design really well to it. And our community has learned, in my mind, very quickly, and they're doing really well with it. And um, we just don't have a lot of modifications that recently that have been requested, um, which is great. Because uh, ultimately, if we're doing it correctly, there shouldn't be a lot of modifications. <laughs> it shouldn't be hard to design well to the code mm-hmm. um, and make really great products people are excited about in development, that is, for in accordance to the, to the form-based code. Um, so, yeah, I think um, as I watch it, I, I believe more and more will get better and better sites and... Um, around the city and I mean we've had some amazing things built recently so that's really exciting so yeah and we've got great projects on the horizon that are really awesome and going to be wonderful for our city so I it's a it's a great time in Chattanooga in my opinion um, for development that is Um, so yeah and we are working on making that permitting process and more streamlined and no more going in circles. We're working on really reducing that to become, when someone hits permitting, it's go time. And we are trying to get our permitting times down shorter and shorter, our review times that is, so that um, the design professionals and contractors out there can get to the plans and do the work they're good at. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're working hard in the land development office to do that. I promise.
0: (laughs) Well, I just have one last question. Where can people go to find out more about the form-based code, either out of curiosity to really dive into it, or if they're working on a project and they they think they might need to know it, where can they go?
1: Um, So we do have a website on the city's website. Um, There's a few ways to get to it. You could just type into Google form-based code zoning Chattanooga, and it should be the first thing that that, um, pops up at the top. Um, And it should be on a .gov website. So that's how you know you're on the cities, mm-hmm. it should be .gov at the end. Um, or you can go on the city's website, we're under Public Works, ultimately, okay. so you're going to go into the Department of Public Works, then you're going to look on your left and see Land Development Office on the on the website. And then in the Land Development Office, there's a page, then you look over on the right, <laughs> and it says form-based code, um, or form-based zoning. I think that's what it says, and then so then you'll click on that, and my information's on there. Levi Witt, our um, admin, is his information is on there, and if you'd like to serve on the form-based code committee, you're gonna scroll scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, (laughs) and then you're going to read about the form-based code committee. And we do have a few openings, so, I mean, please, if you are interested, if you live in the districts, that's awesome. We need more voices of residents. Um, if you're a design professional and you work in the districts, um, I say live and work because I feel like it, it does help you give a, give a familiarity to the districts. Um, but I need to look. And then you can talk to your city council members about it, too. And they will know more because we will, they will have to vote. Well, they will have to know it's a mayor appointment, but it does go in front of city council Mm -hmm. too. So yeah, that's great. It's, it's a public service and we greatly appreciate it. Um, I appreciate all our form based code committee members and they're definitely experts and we're lucky to have them.
0: Well, very good. Sarah Robbins. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. if you have any questions or feedback please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chat civics or visit the website chattanoogacivics.com thanks for listening